You're listening to The Way Home with Daniel Darling, a proud member of the Venom Audio Network. Well, hello and welcome to The Way Home Podcast. This is Dan Darling. I'm so glad you're joining me today. Uh, I am honored that you listen uh, every week to these um, these podcasts, these conversations uh, I'm having with pastors and Christian leaders and influencers and all kinds of interesting people. Uh, if you uh, like what you hear, I'd love for you to subscribe in whatever um, place you get it, whether it's iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play. Uh, if you would be so inclined, I'd love for you to write a short uh, review of the of the podcast. And if you do that, uh, that just kind of lets other people know uh, what we're doing here. But also, uh, you go to my website, danieldarling.com, and email me a copy of that review uh, through the contact page. And I'd love to send you a free copy of my latest book, Away With Words, which you can get, uh, by the way, it's available wherever bookstores are sold. You can find a link to that uh, on my website, danieldarling.com. Today we have a great guest in store. My friend J.D. Greer comes back on the podcast. J.D., uh, as you're probably aware, is the past president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, he's also the founder and, well, I shouldn't say founder, but he's the senior pastor of the Summit Church in North Carolina, which is a great church, a mission-sending church. They um, uh, do church planning and sending all over the country. They send a lot of people also overseas through the International Mission Board, through missions. He has a new book out called Just Ask, The Joy of Confident, Bold, Patient, Relentless, Shameless, Dependent, Grateful, Powerful, Expectant Prayer. While I ask him about this, about leadership, about his prayer life, he talks about his uh, getting up and seeing his dad pray faithfully every morning, which is an inspiration to him. And um, how that has impacted his life. So I think you're going to enjoy this conversation with my friend, Pastor J.D. Greer. Well, I'm glad to have my good friend J.D. Greer back on the Way Home Podcast. J.D., thanks for joining me, man. Man, thank you, Dan. Love being on here. Yeah, so... Uh, Man, there's a, so many things we could talk about, but you have a new book out on prayer. It's called Just Ask, The Joy of Confident, Bold, Patient, Relentless, Shameless, Dependent, Grateful, Powerful, Expectant Prayer. It's a lot of descriptors there. The publisher told me two word titles are best. That's kind of the rage now. So he said, so I was like, well, if you get two words for a title, I get the yeah. subtitle and I'm going to put in every adjective I can think about. That's like a Jonathan Edwards like title <laughs> of a sermon level subtitle. A pastoral you know, like- reflection. On the meaning and the... Yeah. Yes, or Piper. Yeah, like a Piper's yeah. like 30-word sermon title. So let me ask you a question. Why the focus on prayer right now? What what was stirring in your heart to say, you know, I want to I focus on prayer right now? Yeah, and no, I appreciate you asking that. Um, years ago, I read this thing in a... It was in a biography. No, no, no. It was, um, it was one of Martin Luther's commentaries where Luther said to uh, the people he was writing the commentary to, a, a group of young pastors, he said, Never aspire to teach the church at large. Just teach your local church. And if the church at large feels like you've got something to say to it, it'll come to you. And I share that because I, I've, I think most of the books that I've written that I feel really like good about were books that essentially came out of teaching the Summit Church, growing together with the Summit Church. My own walk with God and seeing 
then struggle with things. And that's what this book is, is I'd say it's about 10 years of not just like sermons, but growing as a people in prayer and identifying like, why is it that so many people in our church, me included, can, man, they can ace a theology exam. Man, when it comes to mission, evangelism, they're killing it. But when you really kind of press them, they they struggle to maintain a healthy and, let me just use the word, enjoyable prayer life. It's always the thing that seems to, to lag. Um, I don't think that's unique to the Summit Church. In fact, I, I use this quote from D.A. Carson right toward the beginning of the book that um, if you look at, at missionaries and, and pastors, um, if you look at the actual amount of time they pray every day, it's unbelievably small. And that's just because prayer to us is a, a theory, but it's not a it's something we actually know how to to really pursue. That's an interesting observation, I think. Um, I'm curious too, like for me, as I've gotten older and life presses in on you more, you know, we got four kids and they're either teens or preteens. So that's just like a really busy time in a full house. You know, to me, life life kind of pressing in has has uh, forced me to pray more, right? right. Like you're just, you know, especially parenting, you're just like, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing here. So I need the Lord's help or leadership. You know, you're in leadership. You president of the SBC, pastor of a big church, and you've got your church network and church planning. There's a lot of stuff. Have, I guess, for lack of a better term, the pressures of life, leadership, parenting, all those kind of things kind of swirling at this time and place in your life. That in a way kind of forces you to prayer too, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. I was going to say, I was thinking while you were talking, first of all, let me clarify, this is not a book about Martin Luther and he's not even a major, major source in it, but I'm about to quote him a second time. Um, yes. You know, Luther said, what makes for a good theologian is of course your study of theology, your prayer, but he also said affliction because there are certain, there's a certain dimension of your walk with God that can only really be revealed through, through struggle. And what often Dan feels like unanswered prayer. Uh, you know, Luther talked about, he used the illustration of, he said, why is it that so many Christians, including the people who wrote the book of Psalms, why is it that there's this persistent thing that is God close? Is he listening? And, you know, Luther said, it's all divinely arranged. He said, it's like a, a father sometimes who's holding a, something his kid wants. And, but the kid's trying to pull it out of his hand, but to test the kid's strength and resolve, he won't open his hand quickly. And he said, that's what the Heavenly Father is doing is, is, is through these supposed unanswered prayers, he is forcing you to, A, admit your own weakness, to struggle with it. I've got nowhere else to turn but you. He is, secondly, testing whether or not you actually believe that he's good, or if you're going to say, I'm not even sure you exist. If you're going to turn somewhere else, you know, and say, well, you know, I tried the God route, I tried prayer, that didn't work. And God is doing that, not because he's being cruel, it's because he is is opening up your heart to know more of your own trust in him and his his faithfulness and his goodness. And so, yes, me having children and feeling like, God, why? I mean, you know, I'm praying, God, that you would make all their problems go away. They'd always be crazy successful in school. Any friend who is questionable, I pray that they would just disappear out of their lives. Right. Um, I pray that they would have good attitudes all the time. And I feel like God is like, nope, 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 no. Nope. And no to all those. Um, <laughs> and I know he's he's working in their lives, but you know, it's it, it's that struggle. I mean, you know, I would say that my own struggles with parenting have brought my wife and I to a point of desperation like nothing else in our ministry has. I'm like, lead the SBC, no problem. Parent three teenage girls, 
I, I'm not even sure like how to get up tomorrow and what to do because right, I, I, exactly right. I know that God, God has me in a place where um, I'm just, I'm saying, God, you are my only recourse. I've done what I can do. Yeah. There's a sense of powerlessness. I think that's what we're getting at. Like in parenting and other things that you're just like, you know, I, I grew up in a Christian home. I've read a lot of parenting books, but then it's here live in front of you. You're like, man, I don't have a clue about how to handle all these situations. Uh, you dedicate the book to your mother. So yeah. talk about her as an example of prayer in your life. Yeah, I grew up in the home of a mom and a dad who were saved right around the time that I was born. You know, there's nothing like seeing somebody's walk with God up close that goes beyond what any sermon what any reading a book on prayer would do, both my mom and my dad. I, I tell some stories about times that I knew it was obvious, like in a supernatural way that her prayer had actually changed the situation when I was involved in a, a wreck, right as my life was starting to turn around when I was in my teenage years and God was getting a hold of me. There was this, you know, wreck that, you know, you look back on it and you say, I'm not even sure how I made it through that alive. And some, you know, like some random things that seemed to happen right before the wreck happened that, that literally saved my life. And only to get home and find out, you know, that she had been woken up by the Holy Spirit at exactly that time. It happened in the middle of the night and she was woken up to, to pray for me through that and realizing that that just was kind of a picture of of, of her whole life. And I, I never had to be taught how to pray in a book sense. It just, I just prayed like my mom prayed. Uh, my dad is, you know, a lot the same way. Just, I mean, my dad even would say that um, he got this pastor led him to Christ and he said, I, I could not tell you a single sermon that man preached. I couldn't, I can't remember any of them. Can't remember any of them, but I remember how he prayed. I can remember the way that he talked to God. I can remember that drawing out my own soul and teaching me what it meant to relate to a father like God and, and how to pour out my, my heart to him. And so I'm grateful for a mom and dad that lived this out in front of me. And so I couldn't think of anything better, anyone better to, to dedicate this book to. Yeah. You know, we, we probably have a lot of similarities in that, you know, my parents too, I think they're first generation believers, you know, like my parents, my mom's Jewish, my dad uh, became a Christian, you know, through Billy Graham, you know, 1971 wow. Billy Graham crusade came to Chicago. He walked forward with my grandmother and it was a broken home alcoholism. So it kind of changed the trajectory of the family. And then my mom, you know, they got married later and my mom became a Christian. But there was something, I, I wonder, JD, if there's something about like the um that first generation that becomes a Christian as an adult, there's a fervency. You know, like I saw my dad was just very much for you know fervent. Every morning saw him with his Bible and his, you know, praying and all that stuff. And I wonder if that plays into it too, that, you know, if you grow up in a Christian home, I'm not saying they're, you know, like we obviously have to have our own encounter with God, but there can be a tendency for folks like us who to kind of take some of that for granted or sort of be a little bit lethargic with our spiritual practices. One little quick story just with my dad. Um, I, I'd always, like I knew, but four or five years old, I knew exactly where to find my dad if I got up early in the morning. At five o'clock in the morning, I'd go in, he'd be in our living room, Bible open on his knees. And uh, I just thought that's, you know, as a kid, you're like, I guess he's born that way. I, that's just my dad. He gets up and he prays. And I asked him one time about, you know, like, did you just start this from the time you got saved? He said, no. He said, I really struggled to set aside a time to do it. He said, I kept intending to do it and I never could make it happen. He said, finally, I just made up my mind to like, I get up so early to go to work. I'm going to just, I'm going to set the alarm for 445 and I'm going to get up and I'm going to, 
spend some time with God and pray. And I'm, I'm going to make my alarm. I'm going to set two alarms so I, I can't sleep through it. And he said, um, the next morning, 4.30 a.m., I'm just wake up, you know, no alarm. Just And he said, I, I looked at the clock and he said, I said, Lord, this wasn't the deal. You know, you're supposed to help me get up at 4.45. And my dad's not a guy who hears God speak in voices and all that stuff, but he said it was it was one of those moments where he just sensed the Holy Spirit just, you know, put in his heart like, yeah, but I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait to, to begin spending the time with you. And, and and my dad said, he said, that's not like a sentimental story as much as it was a paradigm shift for me that I wasn't getting up to pray to do a religious duty. Like God needed that to feel happy with me. He said, I started to realize that God, my father, wanted to spend time with me. He wanted me to share my burdens with him. And he said that changed my own heart to where prayer became less of a duty and a struggle and more something that I was, it's like one of my greatest privileges. He said, and when that changed, he said, I began to desire to pray. And that's what created the discipline. A lot of people feel like prayerlessness is a problem with their self-discipline. You don't pray enough for the same reason you don't work out enough or eat enough alfalfa sprouts. You just like, I need more discipline. He said, but um, you know, what we what you see is that is that prayerlessness at its root is a it's a gospel problem because you're either still convinced that with enough time and energy you can make things work, or you've not seen how loving and how powerful God the God is who wants to help you. Once the gospel has shown you your own powerlessness, powerlessness and God's goodness, then prayer begins to become as natural and instinctive to you as breathing. The, the least disciplined person right now that's listening to us is not, you know, breathing out of self-discipline. Nobody has an accountability partner that calls them like, you know, at two o'clock, like, hey, Dan, just, you know, are you breathing right now? I just want to, I'm holding you accountable. Right. I'm breathing. Breathing is the right, right thing to do, Dan. Right. You, you, you breathe because your body every few seconds says, I need air. Bring it in. Prayer in a gospel cultivated soul works the same way. It's you, you pray instinctively, not because you have to or because someone you'd made a decision to, but because your body craves, your spirit craves the help and the power that only God can give. That's a great that's a great perspective, because I think, you know, there's a tension right between establishing practices that will keep you praying. And you think of like some of the great Christian leaders throughout the church history that have had practices or, you know, the Puritans were really good. They, you know, you can read Puritan prayers and there's just all these other, you know, sort of mystics or desert fathers or all these people that were kind of very much had these practices. Hello, friends. I just want to tell you about a really new partnership uh, that we have developed with an amazing company called Canopy. Now, I don't know about you, but as a parent, I find it increasingly difficult to monitor my children's internet consumption with all the devices and computers. And how do you balance safety on the internet in terms of objectionable content, pornography, and things that we don't want them to see with speed and use of the internet for things that they need, like their homework, getting a hold of them. My oldest one is driving and I want to be able to, her to have a way to get a hold of me. How do you do that? Well, sometimes it feels like you have to prioritize either speed and accuracy and accessibility or safety. Well, my friends at Canopy have developed this really neat tool that they beta tested in Israel. And it's so good, they brought it over to the United States. And it uses this proprietary technology uh, using artificial intelligence to block objectionable images, but not always necessarily websites. 
And so how this works is that even on your their phones, if someone texts them something objectionable or they're going to a website that they need to go to but there's objectionable images, it doesn't block the website, but it'll block the, the images from coming through. And it works uh, in multiple apps that are on their phone in ways that a lot of other filters don't. It's a great, great tool. And if you are a Way Home listener, you can go to canopy.us slash way home. That's canopy.us slash way home. C-A-N-O-P-Y dot U-S slash way home. And you can get a special discount. Your first 30 days free and 20% off of Canopy for life. So you want to do that. Go to canopy.us slash way home and check this out. It's a great tool that I know you will use and, and be thankful for as a parent. You know, there's always a tension, like, not just with prayer, but with other spiritual disciplines. Are we doing it as a discipline or are we doing it out of love? And it seems like we're, we're sort of doing both, right? I mean, that once you build a habit, you tend to actually train your heart to love that that habit. But then, so how do those two things work together? Do you understand know what I'm saying? Like, every morning when I get up and read my Bible and pray, I don't feel awesome. I don't feel a halo over my head. I don't feel like you need to read just ask immediately because it will change all that. (laughs) Yeah. So like talk about that tension a little bit that we we're we're, we should build good habits and good spiritual disciplines. But obviously it's not we're not doing it out of drudgery, doing out of love for God and wanting to spend time with God. But then the habits can sort of shape that shape our loves, right? Shape our affections. Yeah, because and and, and actually a really good uh a corrective. I don't know if that's the right word, but I, I, I'm just, just so everybody's, uh, you know, we're on the same page. I don't get up every morning, and sometimes I'm like, I got so much to do. I need to get a start my, I need to start my day. Or sometimes I start reading my Bible, and ten minutes later, I'm thinking about what I watched on Netflix the night before. And there's right, not right, a, right. you know, there's a lot of times that I'm doing things because it is like uh, I want to build a practice. Um, I think what you got to, what we've got to do is realize that those practices are like the wires that connect us to the electricity, but they're not the electricity itself. That's um, James K.A. Smith wrote, I mean, um, that book, Desiring the Kingdom. And he talks about how you know, setting up your life in certain rhythms in a liturgy is what he calls it, can actually shape your heart so that you begin to desire the things that you desire. Um, I, you know, I think of it a little bit like if, you know, a man's walking down the street and a woman who is not his wife walks by and he feels attracted to her, you know, she's not his wife. He doesn't say, well, you know, I, I don't want to be a legalist and, and just obey because I have to, I, you know, I should, if my heart, sinful heart wants to go after her, I might as well, you know, go after her. I mean, you would say, no, you need to choose to do the right thing. Even when your sinful flesh is telling you to do the wrong thing. Because that discipline is itself a cry of repentance and saying, Lord, why is it that my heart still wants to pursue the wrong thing? And why, you know, can you work in my heart so that I desire purity and I desire goodness more than I desire the temptations of the flesh? Well, I think the same thing when I get up and and I'm not immediately saying, God, I crave you like the deer pants for the water. I I say, I'm going to sit down here and God, that's the first thing I'm bringing to you. Is why is why is my heart so still so dull and separated? So in in this world that we this you know the path that we walk, there's a lot of discipline choices, but don't confuse those with the gospel itself. The gospel is about God's power, and then those discipline things are the means by which we can encounter them. Yeah. 
That's a great way. And by the way, James J- James Smith's uh, book, You Are What You Love, that little book on yeah. habits and, and growth, so formative for me to, to help me think, you know, a few years ago, like the importance of building habits and then those things are, those are, those kind of train your heart and you, you begin to love those things. And, and, and I think you do get to a place, like I think younger in my life, I would get up and do my Bible reading because it was kind of the things that Christians do right. and it was important. But there becomes a sense where you get older, you're like, I actually look forward to the mornings and that hot cup of coffee and, and reading my Bible before the day. And, you know, I think, I think that that's cool. Well, me, I mean, like one of the things I do just practically in there that I talk about in the book is, you know, a lot of times people don't know exactly what to pray. And I, that gives several different, you know, suggestions, some biblical, some practical. But, um, you know, for me, like actually walking through my calendar is such an incredible relief. Because, you know, as you start the day, you feel this tension. I got this meeting and I got this deadline and I just, I'm, I lay this out and I'm like, God, you told me every day to ask for daily bread. I need the bread of wisdom to know how to complete this project or have this conversation um, to, to parent this moment, you know, when, when this happens with my kid. That's a relief to me. I feel a sense of rest and I come out of that that prayer closet in the morning with a sense of confidence, not because of what I can do, but because of what, of what I've, you've been reminded by the promises of God that he can do. I can't remember who, who it was. I think it was Andrew Murray said, you know, our goal every morning is to stay with God until we are rejoicing, rejoicing with this like fervent worship until we're happy in God. And then we're on, then we're ready to face the day. I like that. You know, and there's different, there's different practices you do. You know, my wife is very strategic about every day praying for certain things, right? Mm. And having a list. She's done this forever. Like, pray for a family one day, pray for you know missionaries one day, pray for, for you know whatever. She's, right. I'm, I'm not as I'm not as organized as she is, but I I, <laughs> I do it I do it do on that. Evernote on my phone. I have a, 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 oh. a every day it's built and it's more subject areas mm. and scriptures yeah. and people. And that just helps me. It's a little map because a lot of times, like I said, I'll start praying and then you're like, you start thinking about some things going on in your life. And then next thing I know, I'm it's been 10 minutes and I'm, I'm not praying anymore. I'm just, you know, stewing on some problem. Yeah. Um, so uh, giving and, a map is helpful for me. Yeah. And I and I even heard people say when you when your mind wanders in prayer, maybe that's a prompt that, hey, pray for that thing right there. Um, and, you know, other people, you know, will use like guided prayers. Puritan prayers or praying through the Psalms. There's all kinds of great things. One of the things I love about this book, though, JD, is that it's it's a very um, pastoral book. So this you're not just you're not just the book is not just saying, "Hey, people, go pray. It's good to pray," but you're actually you're really wrestling with questions people actually have, like right. uh, you know, chapters on why even bother. Like if God's in control, like why even bother, or why isn't God answering my prayers? You know, and sometimes we can get a little bit frivolous with, you know, why isn't God answering my prayer for this or this? But the, for some people who have very serious hurts and pains, maybe they have chronic pain, maybe they have a strained marriage or they have a prodigal and they just, everything's hitting a brick wall. I think that chapter is really helpful to say like, well, what? You know, I just feel like God's not even hearing me. And so you you kind of walk through some of the questions people have there. So it's, I guess that's kind of the idea of this book is to really guide people through like, Exactly. What is what is happening when we pray? What, what yeah, is there's prayer? there's two parts to it, Dan. There's the first thing, and this is this is kind of how I have wrestled with a congregation with this, and, and and with myself, to be honest with you. The first section of the book is 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 why don't we pray? 
Why don't we pray? What are the reasons? And there are theological reasons, not just theological problems for seminary students, but average people who are like, okay, sometimes I pray what I know is the will of God and it doesn't happen. At least it doesn't happen the way I think it should happen. Sometimes I pray and the opposite happens. Sometimes I forget to pray and the thing I should have prayed for happens anyway. So what's going on? You know, like, how does God's sovereignty, if he knows the end from the beginning, if he has appointed certain things, I mean, how do my prayers change that? So I, I really hope and uh, I hope I was able to accomplish this, to put some of those questions on the bottom shelf, the cookies on the bottom shelf and say, here's what scripture teaches about how how we as his children are to think about the prayers that we pray in tension with his sovereignty. There's questions like, what do we do with the problem of unanswered prayer? That's, that's all in part one. Part two goes, you know, part one was why don't we pray? Part two is how to pray. And that's where it just get really practical. And the thing that I, you know, probably is the centerpiece of that is using the Lord's prayer, what we call the Lord's prayer. I love that part of this, the book. Yeah, because yeah. it's, it's, you know, we call it the Lord's Prayer, but, you know, I'm not the first person to say this, but it's, it should, it should really be called the model prayer because Jesus didn't have to pray for forgiveness for his sins. That's in the Lord's Prayer. So he's not praying it from himself as much as he has given it to us. Um, actually, I mean, it's great to memorize. It's fine to quote in church, but I don't think that's the primary purpose of it. It's, it's, it's just like a working outline. Here, here's the outline of what your prayer time should be like. To quote Tim Keller for a minute, he says, you know, that that you use the Lord's Prayer like a jazz musician uses a melody line. Um, when jazz musicians play, they're playing independent, creative, you know, uh, almost like what spontaneous notes, innovating. But they keep the melody line in the background because otherwise it sounds like chaos. He says, you know, it's called riffing. They're riffing on the melody line. Well, the that that the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer is a, a melody line that we're supposed to personalize and riff on. So one of the things I do every morning is I just walk through phrase by phrase the Lord's Prayer and personalize it into my life. Where are the places where I need to see God's kingdom come, where I need to submit to his will, where I need to ask for forgiveness or daily bread. Yeah, I love that. I love that part of the book. Uh and it, you know, before I came to Nashville, I one of the sermon series I did is I preached the Lord's prayer, you know, like I did one line every week. That was really fun. And there's so much in there that kind of teaches us. And one part of that, that section in your book that I loved is that you remind us that, yeah, like when we're praying, we're praying for needs and we should come to God with our needs because he is our father and he tells us to pray for daily bread. So that's good and right for us to pray these desperate prayers. But you also help us not forget that part of prayer is also just, um, awe and adoration of God, that it's 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 a time of worship and being amazed by God and, and listening to God too. And I think, you know, if there's a part that I struggle with in prayer, it's sometimes that, you know, I'm I'm heavy on the the asking, you know, and we're light on the worship part. So I, I think that was a really important section. It seems like obviously you, you wanted that in there intentionally. Well, yeah, for two reasons. One, I mean, over half of the model prayer is adoration confession, things that are, let's just say, non-request. And that's intentional because until your heart is in the appropriate place of worship, you won't really ask for the right things. You'll be asking and not really trusting God with what you're asking. So uh, we spend these moments thinking about who God is and then praying out of that. Because when you're confident in God's character, his trustworthiness, and his love and compassion, you, you trust him when you pray, but you also ask for bold audacious things. And so 
I wanted to do it because a, yeah, I wanted to, to highlight what you just, what you just highlighted. I wanted to highlight that the worship dimension of that, because it's how Jesus taught us to pray, but it's also a way that we begin to pray effectively because we're praying out of our relationship with God and not in order to bridge a gap with God. I love that. Well, this is a great book. I want to encourage everyone to get it. We'll have links to it in the show notes called Just Ask by J.D. Greer. Uh, J.D., thanks for joining me today in the Way Home Podcast. Anytime, Dan. Thanks a lot, man. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Way Home Podcast with Daniel Darling. For more information, you can visit danieldarling.com. If you do like this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher. We also encourage you to rate and review so others can know about the podcast. You can follow me at at Dan Darling on Twitter or go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Daniel M. Darling. I also want to encourage you again to check out my latest book, Away With Words, and you can visit awaywithwordsbook.com. Thank you for listening again to The Way Home Podcast. podcast is part of the edify podcast network edify is a faith inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top christian podcasts today download the edify app for free from the app store or google play or by going to edify.app that's e-d-i-f-i dot app